You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bible to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We are continuing in our our series on Nehemiah, and I remind you again, there's a lot more going on in the book of Nehemiah than just building of walls uh, that God is seeking to build his people. And uh, this is an important theme that we hope to continue to develop as we study this book. Today we're going to look at the first eight verses of Nehemiah chapter 2. It reads this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, Nehemiah says, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the forest, fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I ask for the good hand of my God." was upon me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, uh, your word. And I pray now, Lord, that we might humble ourselves before it, seeking in these moments only to hear from you by the power of your spirit through the word, proclaimed, explained. Lord, I pray that you would use me as your servant that you would increase, that I would decrease, that your word would go forth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we talked about um, how God begins a work in us. We saw God working in Nehemiah's heart. Though he's 800 miles away, he's two to three generations removed to what had happened in Jerusalem Uh, God was working in his heart. And so when he heard about the walls that were in disrepair and the city that once was a shining example of the glory of God, he cared enough to grieve, but not just to grieve, but, but to pray and to offer himself to the Lord's service. But how 
could this happen with Nehemiah being the cupbearer to the king of Persia some 800 miles away? If you've ever desired to be useful for God, but you're struggling to see how you can be in your present circumstances, uh, no matter what's going on, no matter uh, how monotonous or unexciting your present circumstances are, you want to be useful for God, then this is a great text for us to think about today. I want to draw your attention to several faithful responses of Nehemiah, who is in a difficult situation, but who really wants to be used by God. First, I want you to notice that God's servant waits. He waits. I mentioned this last week, but I think it's important enough that we need to mention it again. You caught the date in verse, chapter 1, verse 1, that said, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, excuse me, that was Archex chapter 2. But if you recall, chapter 1, verse 1, it began in the month of Kislev. Those dates are important for us uh, in, in terms of helping us to understand that when Nehemiah says that he continued to pray and fast before God about this, we know for how long. It's roughly a period of about four months that he continued to do this. He prayed, he waited, he watched. He prayed, he waited, he watched. He prayed and waited and watched four months. Sometimes prayer can become an excuse for inaction. And we, we should nip this in the bud right away because and make this very plain. If God intends for us, if, if what God intends for us to do is clear from the Scripture and there is an open way before us to do it, then we need to do it. If, if it's clear in God's word and the path is open before us, we need to obey. And to not do so is procrastination and sin. There are other times, though, when our impatience with God's timing leads us to think that we might need to take things into our own hands and jumpstart things. And uh, we see examples of this in Scripture. The one that I was reminded of was uh, the story of Ruth. You remember her mother-in-law, Naomi, uh, when she figured out that there might be a connection between Ruth and Boaz, how she kind of took things into our own hands, and she suggested that Ruth put on perfume and go down in the middle of the night to Boaz, who would be alone on the threshing floor, and put herself under his blanket. Culturally, morally, spiritually, this, is, this, this seemed like Naomi was running way ahead of God, taking things into her own hands. So how do we wait and watch? How exactly does God answer our prayers? But we see the difficulty of what's going on here in this story. Nehemiah realized that he might quite possibly be the answer to his own prayer, that God may want to use him to, to do something about the rebuilding of Jerusalem. He prays this twice every day in verse, chapter 1, verse 11. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. But, but from a human level, this prayer seemed impossible. How much waiting and watching and praying is there going to be? This seemed like it was so difficult. Nehemiah is the uh, servant to the king, the most powerful king in the world at this time. And it's not like you just go to that guy and say, can I take some time off? 
To request a leave could have been interpreted as disloyalty to the king. And it wasn't like you're going to get docked pay. It would be like your head being lopped off or thrown in prison. And so given how courageous Nehemiah, we're going to see later on in this book, it's, we have to conclude that it was simply not possible for Nehemiah, in this, as he's praying and thinking about this, just to walk up to the king and say, can I go? Perhaps Nehemiah had even been praying every day, Lord, I have no idea how you're going to do this. I'm just asking, Lord, that you do it. Now, for us, the needs before us may be quite different. Maybe, uh, it's un- maybe we're, we're praying and waiting for a change in our job, or we're praying and waiting for uh, someone to marry, or uh, so- some economic situation to change, and-, and what we're stressed about. And-, and it may look like from the outside, these things are impossible from a human perspective. And I think about even in our own lives as a church sanctification, that we see the things that need to happen and we want to happen, like the saving of souls, amen? Or the healing of hurts, deep hurts, or the restoring of marriages, or the discipling of people, or or the reviving of our own souls. And Nehemiah Nehemiah reminds us that these things we need to be persistently praying about, consistently, persistently bringing them before the Lord, because praise God, He is able to do those things. And like Nehemiah, we must depend and wait we, we pray and we wait on God's ability to change what we cannot change and to do what we cannot do. I want to encourage you today that waiting time is not wasted time. That if you are waiting, and as long as you are praying and in the Word of God, whatever situation that you are dealing with, that God often, those are some of the best seasons in our lives for spiritual growth. For God to grow us, to help us to depend on Him and to conform us to the image of His Son. And so we prayerfully wait on Him either to change us or to change the circumstances that are before us. Sometimes He does both. How often good stories contain uh, a phrase like this, or then one day. And we see that moment that comes at the end of verse 1 for Nehemiah. He says, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. This was his daily responsibility. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says. Notice, secondly, God's servant not just waits, but he trusts. He trusts in God's timing and wisdom and providence. Now, some have suggested maybe here that Nehemiah had kind of orchestrated this whole thing. Maybe this was a part of the plan. Uh, Others think that maybe it was simply that he was so burdened that he just couldn't help how his face revealed that. There's not a clear answer from the text. I lean more toward the latter position. I think this was 
like any other day that Nehemiah had been going through. He's approaching it like any other day with the same carefulness and obligation to the king. But I think something of his inner turmoil was beginning to show the, the, the weight of this burden that he had. But so whether this is premeditated or not, the, the providence of God brought him into this very dangerous place. Being caught sad was a dangerous thing in the court of a king. These kings were often insecure dictators. They, they didn't tolerate these kinds of things. They didn't tolerate any hints of, of uh, disloyalty. And as Nehemiah notes with, with trepidation, he had never been sad in the king's presence before. And when the king notices it, he says, why, are, why is your face sad seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And so Nehemiah in that moment is understandably afraid. You, you might say something like his whole life flashed before his eyes. It's been said that there are three types of anxiety that has characterized humanity or fear and, and they've risen at the forefront at different times in history. In the ancient world, there was a fear of death. So many things could lead to your death. In the period of the Reformation, about 1500 to 2000, there was the fear of, of guilt. And then in the 21st century, there's the fear of meaninglessness. Will my life count for anything? And these are generalities, but fairly good descriptors and, and fears that Nehemiah all may have, uh, have been dealing with here. He, he's, obviously, he's fearing his physical death, the possibility. He'd struggle with the fear of guilt in chapter 1. You remember all the praying and confessing of sin that he had, he had done? And surely occupying Nehemiah's mind here is, where is my place in the work of God? How does he want to use my life? He may have even reflected on that, that famous question a generation before uh, in, in Esther. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? But whatever his fears were in the moment, in this moment of crisis, it's a beautiful thing seeing how God gives grace to him in that moment. When he says in verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Make no mistake about it. This was a, a moment of, of grace in Nehemiah's life. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful for those times. I'm very thankful that in, in times of crisis, in times of fear, when I found myself being in a difficult place or difficult circumstances, that, that, that God's grace was there to help me in that time of need. This is where our trust in God makes all of the difference, church. The early Christians that we read about in the New Testament and in, in history faced all kinds of ridicule and slander and misrepresentation and hardship and persecution and in many of the cases, cruel deaths. But they always faced it with this amazing confidence that they were not alone, that what was happening to them was not fate, it was not happenstance, but it was all under the good hand of a sovereign God. Such grace 
is rarely given in advance, but is always there in our moments of need. Can I remind you, Christian, that it will be true for you in your moment of need? He will be there. Our God is faithful. You can trust in Him. Nehemiah trusted God, and in that moment, courage came. And the courage to speak up and to tell him about his grief and why his heart was burdened. The place where his ancestors had lived was in shambles. Their graves lie in ruin. The city's gates destroyed by fire. And then, unbelievably amazing, the the door of opportunity opens in verse 4 when the king says, what are you requesting? This is what he'd been praying for. Before Nehemiah answered the king, it was essential to speak, I think, briefly with someone else, though. Notice third, God's servant prays once more. Verse 4, so I prayed to the God of heaven. This is, I think, one of the most important prayers in the book. We're not even told what he prayed for. We're just told that he prayed. Here is a man who recognizes that all he prayed for and hoped for hung in the balance in this particular moment, in this opportunity that God had given him, and so he turns to God in prayer. We don't get the sense that in the story that he says, now, hang on just a second, King. Let me take a few minutes to pray. It was rather something that he did in just this moment of, uh, of intense uh, intensity that he just quietly just uttered a, a, a kind of an unspoken uh, a prayer. Uh, some have called it an arrow prayer. He just shot an arrow a prayer up to the Lord, an urgent plea, a vital, sincere, simple, focused plea to God. Maybe it was something just under his breath right before he speaks to the king, Lord, Lord, help me in, in my time of need right now. Lord, give me the grace to say what I need to say right now. Lord, grant me favor with this king. But what a prayer. Uh, Thomas offers some helpful reminders here. Sometimes we, we might think that short prayers are less effective than longer prayers. But that's not true. Some of the great prayers in the Bible were short prayers. Um, I think about the, th- the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What a prayer. Or the prayer at the end of the book of Revelation. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. A brief prayer, so powerful. Don't neglect the power of such praying in your life, Christian. You pray perhaps in the morning. You pray perhaps in the evening. You should be shooting up arrow prayers throughout the day because we need to, amen? So much of our life, we stand in great need. And think about the privilege of this. Think about the the picture here that we see. Nehemiah, who is in the court of a pagan king, and yet in one breath, he can be in the courts of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You have that privilege, Christian. Pray. Don't be afraid to pray. Nehemiah's prayer demonstrates the necessity of prayer. Again, he's been praying for this opportunity for several months, and when the moment arrives, he prays again. Why does he pray again? Because this was a kingdom matter. 
So much was at stake in this. The prayer reveals Nehemiah's heart, that this was something that was consistent in his life. It, it was something that marked his life. He was, he was marked by his prayers. He prayed this way because he was always praying this way. And then this is a, a fourth. This is a great example of a prayer that is immediately answered. You know, we think about the four months he's been praying, and so many days it had been not yet. And then in this moment, it's now. The same moment as he is about to speak these words to the king, he is also assured that the God of heaven is also working in the heart of this king, in the mind of this king. I think of Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24, that says this, Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Praise God for this. Praise God that we have this kind of amazing God who hears and answers our prayer. A God who does things that we cannot do. A God who burdens our hearts, calls us to take action because the good hand of God is working in and through us. Sometimes he answers in a moment. Sometimes four months. Sometimes 40 years as he did with Moses. But our God is good and faithful to hear and answer our prayer. The call to prayer remains the same today. We should be encouraged by Nehemiah's commitment to it. Fourth, notice God's servant plans. He plans. Prayer and reliance on God does not negate uh, tactful speech and careful planning and wise strategy. And Nehemiah's response reveals this when the king asked nehemiah what are you requesting he's ready to launch into a list he's got a laundry list of things notice in verse five and i said to the king if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to judah to the city of my father's graves that i may rebuild it and the king said to me the queen said him beside him how long will you be gone when you when when will you return and so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. It's kind of audacious, isn't it? I mean, think of this. But, but it shows us that evidence that Nehemiah had put a lot of forethought and planning into his response. This wasn't something that just came to mind. He's been thinking about this for a while. He's already calculated travel times. He's calculated what resources he's going to need. He's already thought about who he's going to have to ask for those resources. Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. So Nehemiah has not only prayed, but he has planned. And I think it reminds us that planning and intentionality is important, especially when it comes to things that matter. Perhaps you have planned a summer vacation this year. Or maybe you have made financial plans 
for your future, for yourself. I would ask, do you have plans for kingdom matters? Have you given any thought to that? Dads, have you planned the spiritual growth of your children and your grandchildren? Do you have a plan? Or, or let me ask this, do you have a plan for your own spiritual growth? Have you thought about the things you need to be doing and plan those out so that you will continue to grow spiritually? Have you given any thought to these things? It's so encouraging to uh, see and read about the plans of our graduates today. You didn't get to hear about all, all of those things, but all of their plans, as you can imagine, to go to the next school to go get this training. They want to be in this kind of career, and they've got plans and dreams for these things. And by God's grace and, 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 and their efforts, they've put themselves into the places where they, they can do this. But I'm going to encourage them, and if you're here, I'm encouraging you today not to neglect your relationship with Christ as you start making all of these plans. What, what is your daily plan for reading the Scriptures? Do you have one? It's going to be very difficult for your faith to survive in college without it. Do you have uh, plans, if you're going away to school, plans to find a church and to be in church on a regular basis? You're probably not going to do well spiritually without that. Do, do you have plans, if you're going to a secular university, what is your plan for connecting with other believers, for encouragement and accountability in your walk with Christ. Because your, your, your spiritual walk probably won't survive in college without that. And you will not do these things if you don't intentionally plan to do them. If they are not just as much in the forefront of your mind as you planning a summer vacation... It could be very likely that you will graduate and begin a career and forget that the greatest purpose of your life is serving the Lord Jesus Christ and building his kingdom. Don't let that happen. Those who are useful to God, those who desire to be used of God, just like Nehemiah, no matter what place you're at in life, are those who pray and they wait and they trust and they plan because it is important. The fact that Nehemiah planned has application for our church as well, doesn't it? We should plan. We recently got away as a church staff. We went on a planning retreat. We talked about strategies for making disciples and for reaching our community and training new leaders and all of those different things. There's a lot of work to be done. About 15 years ago or so, this church developed a master plan for the stewardship of the resources that God has blessed you all with. And you, you begin to think about that. Think about the plan going forward with uh, all different, different things. Might be good to reassess and pray and think about those plans. See what God wants for us. Nothing is more important than kingdom work. Amen? Nehemiah must have known this as he laid it all out before the king, all of his plans, all of his requests. 
what would happen now was up to the sovereign will of God. So we read these amazing words in closing. Verse 8, And the king granted me what I ask, for the good hand of my God was upon me. This is fifth. God's servant testifies to the goodness of God. Think about this exchange. It's really breathtaking when you read it. How long will you be gone, the king says? What are you going to need? Oh, you need time. No problem. I got you covered there. Uh, oh, you, you need timber to rebuild the walls. No worries. I got you covered. Oh, you want official letters to uh, pass through all of the places as you travel there? That's no problem. Check. How about a military escort? Are you, are you kidding me? Obviously, all of this is the extraordinary hand of God at work. Amen? It's beautiful to see. There are at least three lessons in this last verse I draw your attention to. First of all, God is altogether sovereign. No earthly king is a match for the power of the God of heaven. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And is this not a wonderful picture of that? If God can change the heart of this pagan Persian king, he can change the heart of anyone, church. He can do anything. Second, God is altogether good. I mean, what happened this day in Susa was... An example of the goodness of God. Nehemiah knows it, right? He says, the good hand of God was upon me. This wasn't accidents. This wasn't uh, any of those things. This was the good hand of God. Every blessing that we enjoy is from the good hand of God. And then there are times of special goodness where God does things that we cannot do. This was one of those incredible times. The good hand of God. Third, because of this, God is altogether praiseworthy. It is the mark of Nehemiah's godly leadership that he attributes the entirety of his success to the hand of the Lord. Not his planning, not his skills, not his wisdom, not his whatever. This was all of God, he says. The good hand of God was upon my life. It's only by God's grace and indwelling power that any of us can be used by God. Amen? There were so many ways this could have gone wrong right from the beginning. So many obstacles. Here, Nehemiah is struggling to see a path forward. He doesn't, wants to be used by God, doesn't know how it's going to happen, but he waits, he prays, he trusts in God's providence, he plans the best that he could, he waits some more, and praise God, he opens the door, and he works. How will you respond in the place that you are today? Are you praying and waiting? Are you asking God, I want to be used by you to serve your kingdom, to build your kingdom? Are you in his word? Are you trusting and watching for God to work? Are you planning and prioritizing kingdom matters in your personal life, in your family life? The greatest example of the goodness of God 
It's really, and, and also the reason why we would do any of this at all, the greatest example of the goodness of God is the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to be our savior, to die for our sins and to raise us to new life in him. It's what changes everything. It's what causes us to desire to be useful to God to begin with, to even want these things at all, to live for him and not yourself. It's Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ today? If not, will you turn to him in repentance and faith and be saved? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible story of Nehemiah and thank you for your goodness that we see all throughout this story and Lord we see it in our own lives we pray that you would help us to be useful to you and your kingdom so Lord work in our hearts and lives today may something that has been said today through the power of your Holy Spirit cause us to turn from ourselves and to turn toward your son Christ to faithful devotion submission, sacrifice for him. So Lord, we give this time to you today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.